Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Hello, hello, Ken Rashawn in D.C., about to head to San Diego, California, to sub- celebrate our good friend, Dr. Greg Reed, and his 60th birthday uh, this week. So I'm really excited about that. And, you know, this year has been a very interesting year, Travis. It's been a year where I think God has been playing with my schedule and saying, you know what, you need to have certain people on the show, so we're going to make sure there's some problems with scheduling. And then, and, and I... I found every single show. Now you may be the exception, but every single show was really one of the best shows I've ever done. And that it was really a godsend that it happened. So you can defy it. You can be the first one that I say, you know, the Travis show, that was just a Travis. It was terrible. You know? Right. It was terrible. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for, thanks for setting up bar. I appreciate that. Well, <laughs> you know, I, well, the reason I'm setting it up right now that way, just out of the gate is because uh, I never said your last name before. Is it Ravel? Yeah, that's perfect. That's actually a good. Okay, I, I didn't know if it was a French twist. Yeah. I, no. I, so what is it? It's it all the time. It is for so I did all right. Uh, you did you did it perfect, right? Um so what's funny is uh I live in St. Louis, which is a heavy French you know city, right? Um well, Saint Louis. Name, yeah, Saint, Saint Louis. Louis. Saint Louis, <laughs> right? Um so yeah, yeah. King Louis the Fourteenth. We've got a statue of him here in St. Louis. Um and people still butcher my name, right? They want to put it as an Italian kind of rev- reveille, right? They want to say reveille yeah. all the time. Um, but no, Ravel, perfect. Thank you. Well, because you have the panache. I mean, yeah, that's it. you, look at, that's you it. look at you, you look like a prince. You look like someone that's actually not been a dictator, but really ruled the world. So, Well, thank you. I appreciate God. that. <laughs> <laughs> so they butcher my name, too. And I'm so glad that my dad uh, owned a French name, Rochon, because they, they say, can I speak to uh, Mr. Rochon? And, and I'm right. like, I, I am so happy to say you are speaking to him because then we go into, I, I don't understand you, bad connect and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get, right. it. I get it. So I, I guess it's, it's really cool because I've wanted you to go and I was talking to J.R. Spear and he said, I'm going to find you someone. And I saw that you were posted that you're speaking at the event coming up. And I thought this mm-hmm. is really a good service for J.R. who put us together indirectly and of right. course, Nate, and Nate Salah for his mastermind. Uh, and I got to meet you for the Steve Jobs Mastermind in in mm-hmm. what part of California was that? Cooper, what was Cupertino. That? Cupertino. Cupertino. Yeah. yeah, I was. I mean, you've been with Nate for a while, right? Yeah. So I have. Uh, I've known Nate since two thousand six. So yeah, seventeen years. I've known Nate. Um, I've known Sam, who is his um, cousin, um, since nineteen ninety seven. So we were we were in college together. Way back. Uh, how long have yeah. you been in the mastermind? I've been in the mastermind for three years now. So when Nate started it, he, he gave me a call and was, he was like, Hey, listen, you know, brother, um, you know, I know you, you do a lot of business. I know, I know you're, you know, you're traveling a lot. You got a lot of stuff going on, but he's like, um, I also know your heart. Um, and I know you're probably missing, um, coaching, um, to the level that you're used to and a community of, of entrepreneurs. So he's like, I would love for you to, uh, to be a part of it. And it, it's, it's perfect. It, it kind of, 
it, it kind of fills that, um, like some people, you know, they have this like desire that they have, that no matter what they're doing, they're, they're an artist, right? They, they want to do art. They need that outlet. Um, I love coaching people. I love, you know, hearing about people and helping develop them in any way that I can. And so that's something that, that has to come out one way or the other, right? And my wife and my kids probably get really tired of hearing it. And so it's, it's nice to have an outlet where other people actually appreciate what I have to say sometimes, you know? Um, so it's, it's been one of those really good experiences from a business standpoint, but also from a, um, just a, a personal kind of release standpoint to be able to have that kind of outlet. So you come across as a person that may love coaching, but you also come across mainly as a person to me that loves to learn, loves to be coached. Oh, I do. I do. I mean, I think, I think those two, those two things go hand in hand, right? I mean, if you, if you enjoy coaching and developing individuals, um, I think that, that, you know, the flip side of that, the other side of that coin is you love to be coached and mentored and developed. Um, and a lot of times, right. Being, uh, being an entrepreneur or being, um, owning a company, right. That, you know, the, the, the hardest coaching is always somebody coaching up, right. Somebody coaching your boss. Right. And, and so, you know, there's a lot, a lot of aspects in my life where I don't, I don't get that where, um, you know, we'll kind of get into my work history, right? Traditionally, like where, where I come from, Fortune, you know, 50 companies, that's, that's all it is, right? Like you're either coaching somebody or you're getting coached, you know what I mean? There's, and so you get right. used to that, right? You get kind of get used to that. Um, and I think, I think great coaches, you know, and I'm not considering myself a great coach, but great coaches also need to be coached. You know, I mean, that's one place that we learn how to become better ourselves. Right. And so we have something new to offer the people that we're also trying to develop. Well, all great coaches have humility because they know they're great coaches and they say, I wouldn't consider myself a great coach. So good job. on right. that one. Thanks. I mean, Thanks. Thank so, you. so well played, Travis. So well played. <laughs> <laughs> so normally the show goes into who are you and how did you create who you are, but we're going to deviate a little bit because we have a lot of acknowledgements in my opinion to, to state because if it wasn't for Nate and it wasn't for JR, there's just no way you'd be on the show. I don't see how our paths would have crossed, at least at this point. Mm -hmm. And, Agreed. and uh, that, that mastermind that Nate created, uh, this, uh, I'll just call the Steve Jobs uh, mastermind in mm -hmm. uh, Silicon Valley. It was really kind of a Silicon Valley experience, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was level like 10 or a five-star experience plus like if you were to i've been to a lot of masterminds I, I know we have never talked about the history of all of our growth experiences our personal development experiences but i'm telling you i have been to a slew slew equaling 30 or more masterminds okay uh, and I, I i would put his as one of the top i mean just and i've been to really expensive masterminds so it's a, it's a hats off to him and i learned a lot and i i give it to him because he got his doctorate and he really focuses on getting the information he received and giving it to the people he loves. And yes. so, and damn, that house, what was that? Like an $8 million house? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that house was incredible. It was incredible. <laughs> it, was, it was a great trip. I mean, Nate does yeah. an amazing, amazing job. So I, I don't have the benefit of, of, I have not been to a slew of masterminds, um, but I have spoken to other people in kind of the mastermind world, right? And they seem so different from the way Nate kind of runs it. Um, right. and that, that, that is a testament to Nate, right? I mean, Nate, Nate is a, he is a unique individual. Um, he's, he is, you know, one of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, but you know, he, he has this gift of being able to, uh, not only really get in, in, inside of your, inside of your heart, right. And, and understand kind of where to kind of drive you and, and, and develop you, 
but he also is a great storyteller, right? And I think that's that's impressive when you're a coach, right? When you're coaching somebody to be that great storyteller, to be able to take an analogy or to take somebody like Steve Jobs, who, right, like for most of us is so, is put on such a pedestal, right? Like so far beyond anything that we could ever hope to kind of be, right? Like he's one in a you know billion. Um, and to make him come alive, right? Like as a human being, right? With his faults right. and, and, and all the things that come on, um, but still not lose the respect that you have, even learning that stuff. I mean, it takes somebody like Nate to be able to kind of give that to you, right? To be able to describe that to you. Yeah, he's, he's doing, so a mastermind um, that I've experienced and most of them are driven to being in a room, a think tank where all of you are developing each other and contributing to each other. And it really doesn't leave the boardroom too much. There was definitely a social attached to it. But he does, he has three elements to it. <clears throat> he adds <clears throat> a location to pour his doctorate back into the people there. He adds the field trip experience so that you can actually feel, see, experience at least some aspects of the history of this person. And then of course, it's the think tank. So he's got the, the beautiful trifecta. And I find whenever you think of things in threes, one, you cause a dynamicness to it that is almost uh, impossible to compete with. Like most masterminds, that's two levels they're not doing. Right. So it's almost right. unfair. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. He's got, he's got a great, he's got a great product. It's, it's a great well, program. Um, yep. And we're going to talk about your, uh, your take on uh, business success and what you teach at BLN in a, in a minute. But I, I want to at least seed this is that the reason I picked you for the show is I feel that you have those extra variables in place that most people don't have when they're going into a business vision, mission, and decision to go the distance. Cause you don't go the distance if you're missing variables, you actually get stifled and booted. Right. That's exactly but, correct. But before we do that, a little, just to round out the props, anything else you want to say about Nate? And then of course, what, what's your, uh, what's your take on that crazy JR? <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think, I think with Nate, right. Um, I think that, you know, he, he likes to talk a lot about, you know, finding our genius zone and operating in that zone, right? Um, and I think that he has found his, his genius zone in, in his masterclass. Um, when, when it comes to JR, um, I, I, think, I think he is a, a fantastic individual, right? I think that his story is compelling. Um, I think that the way that he's utilized um, kind of the hardships in his life um, to not only, right, overcome those and, and become a better man because of that. But he's doing what I think we should all should do, right? When we, when we, when we go through a trial and tribulation, we learn something, um, we're sharing that knowledge with other people, right? We're helping other people to also learn from that. Um, and so I think that uh, uh, JR, you know, is, is an impressive individual. I think that, you know, the BLN community is a great community. I think what's unique about the BLN community is that it's so diverse in the, um, in the organizations, the types of organizations that you have that are a part of it. Um, I mean, you've got everything from, you know, physicians to solopreneurs to, um, you know, guys like me who run, you know, large organizations um, and all coming together to really, you know, help each other grow and develop and, and take our businesses uh, to the next level. And I think that that's a, that's a rarity in today's world. Um, of, of fake Instagram and, 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 you know, everything plastic, that this is something that's real. You know, it's real people talking about real problems, coming up with real solutions um, to help out. And I think that that, that to me, um, 
is, is paramount in today's society is to be real, right? Just be real. Um, and I think that, I think that JR always keeps it real. And I think that, you know, the people in the group keep it real. And I think that, I think that that's, um, that's something that the world needs more of right now. Well, let's, let's talk about the variables. This is an unplanned conversation, obviously. Yeah. So if JR wasn't so great, he wouldn't work with someone like Nate. And that was not supposed to be a rhyme, by the way, that was not the great (laughs) Nate. Um, but his ability to play at such a high level attracts someone like a Nate Salah. Dr. Nate Salah, and they cause each other to have much bigger impact. And then they become partners. I mean, that wasn't obviously their initial plan when they said, hey, you join my, my mastermind. I'd like you to be a member of BLN. But I want to talk about my take on the three dash possibly four variables that I think are kind of unique about BLN. And I'd like you to chime in on that. And then we're going to go to you, your story and how you develop who you are. So one is I'm, I'm extremely impressed that if you go to most networking organizations, they may not have a direction of who they want to attract. And so it might just be all business leaders or all people in real estate, insurance, et cetera. And you're, you're kind of lost in how do I find the gold? Okay. So I find with BLN, it's all serious entrepreneurs that are heading to six figures and up. That's what I, I find that to be one. And that's, that's unique to me because to me, it already is almost a built-in mastermind. Number two, I've never seen a business network that does five-star events. And if they do it, it's more of a social and it's more of a, Hey, get to know the people that you sit at the table and share referrals with. So his are stellar. I mean, he, he could open up a company on how to do events. Mm-hmm. He's doing a magazine, as you know, most do not create a media source that adds right. a component of storytelling. And, and the, the third and a half, cause it's not really completely in place is that he seems agreeable to changing a BLN business leaders network to book leaders network and have all authors in there. So that's important. Um, I mean, that's important. That's, that's a big, that's a big <laughs> one right there. <laughs> well, um, the, the thing is whether he changes the name or not, he embraces authorship. He embraces people that are authority experts and are wanting to speak or are speakers that just can sit in the back and support a speaker and learn. And that's what the mastermind aspect is, is that it doesn't matter who's on stage. You have someone that wants to learn and that's actually taking that information and making the world better. So that's my take. What did I miss? What did you, what do you think about that? No, I I think, I think you, you hit, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I agree. I think that the diversity of, of the individuals and the companies that are in the group is what makes it so powerful. Um, You know, I've, I've talked to other people who are in similar type groups and like you said, it's all real estate, right? And that's great if you're in real estate, right? So you can sit there and you can talk about real estate and everything like that. But the problem is, and, and, I, and I find this in a lot of companies, right? And especially in my consulting is when you're in an industry for so long, you're in the weeds, right? So, so if, if somebody tells you, oh, you can't do this because of X, Y, and Z, you're like, yeah, no, that makes sense. You can't do that. But if somebody's coming from outside of that industry and they're looking at it completely fresh eyes, right? They don't know what the limitations are. And you say, you can't do that. The first thing I'm going to say is why? Like, why, why can't you do it? Like, where is there an unspoken rule? It's an unspoken rule. Well, okay. Why is it an unspoken rule? Like, this makes sense. And so I think having- hey, Travis, Travis. Yeah. Yes. I got to stop you. I have to stop you there, man. Because what you're bringing up is why a leader is a leader. They question why something can be to succeed. And I, and I want to interject Absolutely. that. That's, that's a phenomenal uh, difference of what BLN is, is that they attract people that are- uh, they question, they question why it can't be and why it can't be them. Yeah. And, and uh, why not me? Why can't right. I be the one that's the problem? 
So I had to interject that because that is really the premise of the show is amplifying leaders that inspire hope and create community. And that would only happen if you say, why not this way? Yeah, no. And I think, I think that that's super important. Right. And so I think that the level of feedback and coaching that you get is, is demonstrably different when you have people who are high level in their organization or their, 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 whatever they do, they're high level, but they're not in your industry. Right. But they can come in and they can say, listen, I had a similar situation, right? This is what I did. And, and it's something, and a lot of times those are ideas that you never would have thought of in your industry because you, you, you were inside of this, this four walls, right? And all you see are these four walls and you got to try to figure it out in these four walls. And somebody else comes in, they say, look up, right? There, there's, there's a ceiling that is not there. You don't have to stay in this room, right? You can, you can do something different. Um, and I think that that's powerful when it comes to moving people forward and having people make, you know, these massive breakthroughs. And, and you know, whether you look at Nate's mastermind class or you look at the BLN, right, there have been massive breakthroughs that have happened over the past couple of years with, with multiple individuals that we can talk about, right? Whether it's, you know, an individual who has, um, you know, uh, um, a, a show that is, that is being picked up by Marvel, right? I mean... Or, or whether it's, you know, an individual who's, you know, got a company who right now is, is you know, valuation is close to $100 million, right? I mean, these are, these are real, life. you know, these are people that we talk to, right? We talk, we text, we message, right. we hear about, right? we hear about all their, their successes that they're having. And I'm not saying that it all stems from these two, you know, these two classes, but I'm saying that they, right, a lot of it does come from these two classes, right? By giving somebody objective feedback coming from an industry that, you know, you're not, you don't know the limitations and, and giving people different ideas and them trying those ideas. And then all of a sudden they're considered a maverick in their industries because they've done something so crazy and so different that nobody else was just willing to try. Right. Because they thought there was this, this, this blind limitation that was there. And so it's, you know, you get, I think, go ahead. No, 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 you finish. I have something to say. Uh, after. Yeah, no. So, so I just, I think, you know, especially anybody that's out there, Right. I mean, I always say this, right. Everybody needs a community. Everybody needs, you know, a coach. Right. Um, and everybody needs to coach. Those are things that just need to happen and, you know, to, to round yourself out as, as, a, as a human being. Um, I think they should look at joining one of these, whether it's these two or another one. I think that these these classes give people opportunities to grow in ways that they would never have without these classes. And I, I did not want to interject. This is more of a, a, a tangent of an epiphany of impact. And it's funny, but we had a show design. I, I went over with you and we were supposed to be talking about who you are some like 11 minutes ago. Right. And so my epiphany I'm having about impact is that the more impact someone has, the more you do not care about speaking of yourself. You care about actually speaking about the impact they created for you. And we've talked about Nate and, and uh, JR like that for like 15 minutes, just so we're clear. I mean, it was supposed to be, three minutes, five minutes tops. Right. And we're still talking about him. And I, and, and, and then it goes back to you. I called you and I said, Hey, I'd love to have you on my show Monday. And you said for you. Yeah. Like that, the impact. And, and that's the other side of impact is not only do you speak of someone because of what they created with gratitude, <clears throat> but you also are never too busy for them. Right. Right. It's a two sided point. I Absolutely. mean, I had a friend of mine who's done pretty close to six figures of help in my life of bringing the right events, the right people in my life. He called me. He was in a jam there, there. Yep. I mean, I, I, nothing was important compared to him. Yep. Yep. Say thank you. 
So um, I know you may not know these dates because one of them is in our backyard in D.C. and I'm not expecting you to fly out. Where, where are you out of? Uh, St. Louis. Okay, so there's an event happening in September <clears throat> that's building the event in no- November, correct? Which mm-hmm. is in Disney, and we're, and we're talking about our, our good friend Walt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Walt Disney. So yeah. the, mastermind, the mastermind is going from Steve Jobs to uh, Walt Disney to discuss mm-hmm. and learn with a PhD-level in-depth conversation storyteller about who is Walt and how did he become who he is. And, and I, want to, um, <clears throat> I want to give you a chance to share what you learned about Steve Jobs. I'm going to share one thing and you can share a couple, but then we're going to Hershey, Pennsylvania at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hershey, Pennsylvania. Hershey, Pennsylvania is in September. So that's, that's the one September. that's in, yep, that's in September. So we're going to learn about, uh, we're going to learn about Mr. Hershey. Um, and I, I have done, I'm going to say this, I have done the, uh, the Walt Disney tour with Nate. Um, and Nate, <clears throat> I don't know how he becomes an expert at so many different things in his life. He knows more about Disney than most people that work at Disney know about Disney. Right. And so, um, right. when you go to Disney with Nate, like you are getting, you know, all, all the way from, I mean, it's just so crazy, right? Like what, how when you walk in, um, there are trees that block out the outside world because Walt wanted you to be immersed in this world. You know what I mean? And like just little things that you wouldn't pick up. And, and Nate, Nate is pointing them out. He, he's just, he's an amazing tour guide for, for Disney. I would say he should, he should do that as a side break. He could get paid a lot of money for that. You know, um, when you love someone, when you make them feel uncomfortable to grow, um, it's part of what you, you do to thank them. So yeah. I'd like you to, I'd like you to make Nate feel really uncomfortable. He promised me that he'd have his leadership done at this point of this year. Oh, did he? And we, did he? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you can, you can rib him and, and you can tell him on the show, it's very uncomfortable. Ken, Ken said the leadership's book coming out this year, but his, his knowledge of leadership, he doesn't, he doesn't realize this because the same thing we were talking about impact. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how many people he's not helping. He doesn't know how many people would now be friends of his, how many people would actually hire him as an accountant or as an advisor or to be in the management. Because when you read the book, it's a passive way of falling in love with somebody. It really is. Yeah, yeah makes sense. And, and, and the way we do books at Perfect Publishing is, who are you wanting to inspire? Because that is the first ticket to conversion. The first ticket to conversion is inspiration. It's not know, like, and trust. I go on stages and I'll hear someone just before me speak and I go, hey, we all know we do business with people we know, like, and trust. And I've already talked to some people that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke a lot of fun at that myth because it's a myth. <clears throat> because guess who else we do business with? We do business with people that drink, like you just drank. You just yeah. drank some coffee. Okay. Yeah. We do business with people that eat and also that breathe. Okay. <laughs> we do. We do. So, yeah. so, so know, like, and trust, I've, I brought this up on the show several times is the foundation of 99% of the people that we even let in our life. Mm-hmm. So if we're not doing business with 99% of the 99%, then there's right. probably a problem with saying we do business with people we know, like, and trust. Right. So my yeah. argument is that we do business with people that we're inspired by, which pushes the 99 to the one. And then we Google them and see that they're the value proposition that, that we are inspired by. Makes sense. Makes sense. And that's what JR is to me. JR is inspirational. I Google him. He's a badass. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you Google him, he is rocking in our face. He is rocking yeah. in his podcast and he, and he brings it. 
So I just got a, a notice that we have four minutes. So I'm not going to start the story of who you are. This is so, okay. this is crazy. Like this is, I don't think it's ever happened. We didn't get to know the guest in the first. <laughs> so we're going to come back with a cliffhanger. Who is Travis? And, uh, but, but to close it out though, what, what was something that you did learn about uh, Steve Jobs that was kind of mind boggling and also how, how did you apply something you learned? So, you know, what I, let's see, one thing that I learned, I, th I thought it was really interesting that from such a young age, he kind of had, you know, when you, when the rock story, remember the rock story where, where his neighbor had the rock machine and, and it was just, so at such a young age that he was so into kind of designing, right? Like, like figuring out how things work and to make them better and, and more appealing, right? And when you think about when you think about, if you kind of go back into that time frame and you think about early computers, it, everything everything was was bulky, it was ugly. It didn't matter what it looked like; it just mattered what it could do. And I think he was the first person who to tied in right, wanting to make sure that it 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 did work better than what everybody else had, but it also looked really cool, right? Like it had that aesthetic to it. Yeah, you know. And, and so and so that that was something that um that that really kind of grabbed me. Um, and what did I, what have I put into my life since then? Um, I, I think, I think taking, taking that same mindset, right. That, that it doesn't have to just be, we want to make it work, right. It doesn't have to, we want to make something work. You want to make it work. You want to make people want to use it. Um, you know, it doesn't have to just be fundamentally about the thing, right. So if it's, if it's my business, right. It's that, how do I make my business work? But, but how do I make it not necessarily prettier, but I can, I can make things, I can do more than one thing, right? You can be really good at more than one thing. And if you're trying to make something better, it doesn't mean you're just making it better in one way, but you're looking at it again, outside, take your mind outside of your industry. And you're saying, how can I fix this problem without using the same old situations that people use to fix problems in your industry, right? So to think bigger, to think, you know, take a step back and, and take a look at the problem, um, and, and so I, a lot of that really was kind of kind of stirred on by that rock story, right? Like just who thinks about rocks, you know? And then it's like, well, if, if he thought about rocks, what am I not thinking about, right? What am I, what am I missing in my day-to-day -day that I'm not using that could, um, you know, take this employee or this problem or this business to the next level? And I've really tried to use that in my mindset when I'm, when I'm challenged with an issue moving forward now. Well, we're about to go to break and I really do not want to talk about Nate or JR, Nate the Great. Or JR, okay. or Steve Jobs, but I do want to say really quickly before we go to break, I was really fascinated. And I did not know that uh, I'm trying to remember the parents' names, but it was uh, Paul Jobs and Clara Jobs I think, was that that adopted him, and that I didn't know that his love, his father's love for Steve, and Steve's appreciation and respect for his father taught him that painting the outside of the fence has to be important as painting the. Uh, the inside of the fence as painting the outside of the fence and that everything was detail. Everything was pride. And his dad taught him that. Yeah. And then I think the other part, I don't know if I heard it, the mastermind was restated and I got it again was that uh, Steve Wozniak saying, everyone here at Apple has a job to do. One's an engineer, they're a designer, this is, this. and they, he pointed to Steve and goes, what do you do? I mean, that, what do you do here? And, and Steve says, I'm the conductor. Right. And right. And I, I, I smile and I love telling that story every time because without the conductor, it's just another business. 
it's just noise without a conductor, right? <laughs> I mean, it's right. just noise, right? It's just noise, right? You got you got to have yeah, that so, person who's leading at all of the all of the talented people. Well, Travis Rebel, we're going to be back in a couple minutes, and this is Ken Roshaner and Voice America. Big uh, shout out to Jeff Spinard up in the sky who created Voice America for all of us hosts to amplify people like Travis. And we're going to take a deep dive because we certainly haven't even taken a shallow dive to learn who Travis is and how he became the man he is now. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at theumbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, this is Ken Roshan on Amplify Voice America with sponsors, Perfect Publishing, the Key Smiling Movement, and Amplifluence. And I know that Nate and JR just turned off their, they just t- turned it off, stopped the video, stopped the iTunes, Apple iTunes, because they said, oh, we just heard there's no more about us, you know? Right. <laughs> They're done. They're done. They're, they checked out. Yeah, they, so, um, a lot of pressure. Um, how many copies of Nate's book are you going to buy when it comes out later this year? A lot of pressure for you. How many? I mean, it, at least I'm trying to think. Uh, I've got almost 500 employees, so 500. 500. Nate, yeah. I, it's too bad you turned off the radio show at this point. That's right. a lot of. That's a lot of <laughs> right. impact. All right. right. So. Travis, I'm, I'm really impressed because when we talked last week and I said, I want you on my show, you said, I really don't want to be on your show unless I can get COVID for the fourth time. And I was like, that's right. a weird thing to say <laughs> that you would want to get. 
No, but you started the show off and you haven't coughed yet. So I, I, I think I've coughed more than you because I, I hit mute and I just do a little in my throat. Like, there watch this. And you didn't even hear it. You're, See, so you're a professional, right? I'm just, I'm holding it in. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a professional. Right? At the end of the show, when you hang up, you're going to be like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right, right, so, right, right, right. So it's interesting, but you wanted to go for the Guinness World Book Records of people that can get COVID after COVID's done. I, I, yeah. Have any yeah, idea I guess, how you I guess so. Uh, yeah, I, I have a good idea. So um, Sam and I had to go to uh, Miami last week um, to meet with uh, an IT company. And we met with our attorney and, uh, you know, had, had dinner with, her, with, with our attorney who happens to be a childhood best friend of mine who lives in, lives in South Florida. And so I get home a couple days later and, you know, it, you know, I start just not feeling well. And again, fourth time. So I know, I know what's coming, right? Um, so I text, I text everybody. I'm like, hey, guys, not feeling great, you know, kind of have an idea. I might, might have COVID. Um, and you know, Sam pops in, he's like, I feel the exact same way. And my attorney pops in, he's like, you know, last week, the week before I met you guys, I wasn't feeling real good, but I thought it was just <laughs> allergies. And, and that, and I'm just like, oh man, here we go. You know, he's like, I'm so yep. sorry. And I'm like, you're good. Like Sam and I, you know, we're on, I mean, I got home late, uh, late Saturday night from Austin. I leave tomorrow for Vegas. I mean, we both live on airplanes, so it's, you know, flip a coin, but I'm pretty sure pretty sure it came from my childhood best friend uh who who i very rarely see anymore um but yeah fourth time's a charm just like yeah. a head cold it's just a pain and thank you, for, you know? and thank you for quoting me on that yeah yeah it is it is it is just like it is this is all it is today is a head cold so i'm i'm okay just yeah, a so little nasally i and you just caused me to have another minor epiphany um which is never have a backup guest that is like a partner with the person that could be sick <laughs> <laughs> So Sam, Sam's awesome. I do want to, I want to bring him in the conversation because I know you've you created a lot with him, but let's go way back. Um, you know, you're, you're a, a 29 years old, I think something like that. So let's go back yeah. to the beginning. All right. And uh, let's talk about one where you're born, what your childhood was like. Yeah. So I was, uh, I was born in a, uh, in a city called Granite City, Illinois. It is a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri. It is a, um, it is a steel town. So there are three steel mills um, in that town and, you know, very, uh, very, very blue collar, rough, you know, kind of rough place to grow up, you know. Um, so that was that was my childhood. Um, I'm the first person in my family, the first generation in my family to not work at a steel mill. Um, traditionally, in, in my hometown, you, you know, you graduated high school on a Friday. You immediately went to work in the steel mills on that next Monday. You worked there for 40 years and you retired and that was it, right? That was, that was your life. That's kind of um, like the Rudy story. That's kind of like the Rudy it, story. It, it, it is, it is, Rudy is very much exactly kind of how um, my hometown was. Um, so I was born, um, you know, right, you know, in 1980. And so my father was in, uh, happened to be in finance. Um, that was not a good time to be in finance in 1980. Um, and so he had lost his job and we actually lived in a, uh, lived in an upstairs apartment that my great aunt owned and she lived in the downstairs apartment. Um, and so we had one bedroom, no air conditioning. Um, and you know, it's, it's all I knew, right. It's all I knew, but looking, looking back on it, it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, food stamps, free food, right. Help from the community. Um, kind of that, that whole thing. Both my parents ended up going back to school. Um, and 
my dad started a, uh, a medical, um, he went back to school and became a respiratory therapist, started a medical sales company when I was about nine. Um, and that kind of changed the trajectory of our family. Um, so, you know, that was, that was kind of the defining moment where we went from, um, definitely lower class to, you know, now we kind of creeped our way into middle class. Um, and, and so, you know, but my, my parents always tried to do whatever they could for me, right. Any, anything that they, they, they always found a way, um, for me to play sports, for me to have a good education. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I respect, you know, kind of the hustle, you know, as, as the kids say these days, right. I respect the hustle that, that my, that my parents had, um, and the, the life that they gave me because, you know, the, the one thing that I will say, I'm kind of going to jump around here. Right. But the one thing is, is that I remember, I remember the feeling of being poor. Right. I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but I remember that feeling of, of just being at the bottom of the barrel and that has driven me my entire life. Right. Like, some say it's a fear, right? And there is a little bit of a fear, but it's also, I never want, I never want to be in that situation again, right? I never want to be in that situation again. And so that's been kind of the driving force in, in my life to, to drive my success and to, you know, be my ambition and, and just, just, to, just to get out, right? Um, but now it's kind of come full circle. And so we talk about a lot of this with, with Nate and, and Sam on our podcast. Um, now I have children, right? And it's, you know, my children's life is completely different from what my life was when, when, when I was their age. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, first of all, you got air conditioning. You got air we conditioning. Have air conditioning I mean. And they have their own bed. I mean, they're, all, they're already one step up, right? They're already one step up. That's um, two steps. Right, two steps up. So, but, you know, my kids, my kids are growing up, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a completely different world. And so, you know, the challenge that I have, right, like as a, as a father is – you know, I, I want, I want to be able to instill this drive that I have, right. That is, that has helped me overcome multiple things in my life that I'm sure we'll talk about, but it's hard to do that without putting kids into some type of traumatic situation, right. Where they have to say, Oh my God, I don't ever want to be there, be that anymore. So, so that's, that's my, my biggest. Can, can I throw the word biggest, at you? Yeah. Travis, can I throw the word at you? That is like a sure. French word to these, to these young kids. Yeah. Initiative. Initiative. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so yeah. So, um, so you know, the one thing that I had going for me when I was young is I, I grew. And maybe it's because I was from a steel town, but I, I grew extremely fast. So I was, I was six three, two hundred pounds in the sixth grade, and I stopped growing in the sixth grade. But I was, I was a monster, right? And so, um, I was very athletic, and so that that helped me break down a lot of barriers. Um, but from a leadership standpoint because I was so big at such a young age, you know, my father told me something when I was probably nine years old. He was like, listen, he was like, you're nine years old. Um, but he's like, you look like you're 17 years old. And he's like, the world is going to, they're going to judge you as a 17 year old. You know, they don't know you're nine. They're going to judge you as a 17 year old. So he's like, you have to act like a 17 year old, which is right. As a parent now, that's, that's not something you should say to your kid, right? Like right. you should not put that in their head. But what it did from a young age is, is, it, is it always made me be very cognizant of, of how I was acting in the world, right? How I was representing myself in the world, how I was protecting other people in the world that were my friends that were not my size, right? And we come from a town that you had to fight. I mean, unfortunately, right? Like it was a hard, it was a hard nosed town. So you had to fight. And so um, that, that leadership as a protector, 
right, was was something that that grew and was instilled in me at a very young age. Um, and so that's never changed, right? So like even my employees today, there's a high level of um, of 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 protection that that I want to provide for them, right? So that they feel that they're in a safe environment um, to grow, right? And that's not just safety from physical violence, right? It's it's safety so that they feel comfortable in making mistakes, right? And then they can grow from that. So a lot of that stuff kind of developed at a very young age for me. Um, and then with athletics, um, I played uh, I played football and hockey. And um, in hockey, I was um, I was I was very good, um, and I spent a lot of time on select teams in, in Canada um, and in the in you know northern Michigan and stuff like that. Um, and so I was taken away from my friends. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was playing with a lot of kids that were older than me. And so, why did why did you uh, play a, a why did you play a sissy sport like hockey? That's just you know my my grandfather was an ice skater, um, and and he taught me how to ice skate at a young age, and and you know hockey hockey when I was growing up was more you know today hockey's kind of a rich kid sport you know because it costs so much money right. to play, but you know when I was kind of growing up hockey was a uh, uh, it was a uh, it was kind of a, a blue collar sport right like you guys you know they're drinking beer and. And, you know, getting in fights and, you know, all, all the things, right. Nobody's making millions of dollars playing hockey back in the, in the eighties and the early nineties. Um, and so, you know, between hockey and football, um, most of my life was, was dedicated to athletics and academics. And that was, that was all I really had time for. And I knew that that was probably going to be, you know, my, my, my shot, right. Was, was probably, um, athletics. And so, um, I had, I had worked my way, um, into a, uh, a private high school here in St. Louis. That's one of the, the top private high schools in St. Louis. And the only reason they let me come over here, right, is was because was because of athletics. Um, I was smart enough, but otherwise, there's no way they would let me come over here. And that that opened my world, right? All of a sudden, I was going to school with with kids who, you know, I, I like to say were born on third base, um, and I saw a whole different lifestyle, right? I saw a whole different world, and and I knew that I wanted. Right. I wanted to be a part of that world. Um, and I knew I wanted my my kids when they get older, I wanted them to be accepted into that world because I wasn't I wasn't initially accepted into that world. Right. Um, they liked that I was that I was athletic, but it wasn't something that you just walk into kind of old money like that. And so um, it also gave me kind of a chip on my shoulder. Right. Another another little driver for me. Um, and so I worked really, really hard um, and I had uh, received a um, a division one scholarship to play football, um, at a top university in the country. Um, I was a quarterback, um, and going into my senior year, I broke my neck. Um, I broke wow. my neck sliding, sliding in a mud puddle at track practice, just, just, just goofing off. Um, but, uh, broke my neck. I was paralyzed. Um, had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to use my hands again. Yeah. Um, wow. so I was paralyzed for, uh, almost six months. Um, and it took, it took about a year to fully be able to kind of walk and, and kind of do things on my own. And I still have some, some issues kind of left over from that, some, some numbness, but needless to say, I definitely, you know, lost, I could not play sports anymore. So isn't that crazy though, that, that day defining moment for sure. Oh, it was, it's, like, it's the most, it's outside of my children being born. It's the most defining, the most defining moment of my entire life. It, it changed it changed every, when I say everything, I mean, it changed everything from my family dynamic. Um, you know, my, my parents, you know, my, my dad had a hard time, um, kind of coming to terms that I wasn't going to be able to continue to play sports. And, and that eventually led to my parents getting a, a divorce. 
Um, it changed the whole kind of spectrum of my family, right? I mean, everything literally changed in that exact moment. Um, March 13th, 1997, right? I mean, it changed. Can I, can I interject that that was the day? Yeah, that, sure. uh, I'd like to interject that that was the day that a uh, gratitude needle was injected in you at a high level for just being a walk. Yeah, that was, that was the day, um, you know, I was, I was, I was raised in a, in a pretty religious family. Um, my, my family, um, is, is, is pretty religious. Um, but that was the day that I truly found God, right? Truly mm-hmm. found God, um, in, in multiple different ways. Right. Um, but you know, at 17 years old, it's great. You know, I learned, learned how to walk again. I learned how to, you know, function and, 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 and be able to, you know, be quote unquote normal. Um, but it was really my midlife crisis, right? I mean, that point was my midlife crisis because from that point, prior to that, you know, my, my, my plans were pretty much set. You know what I mean? I knew what I was going to do for college. Um, I had already had, you know, pro scouts talking to me about, you know, what to do, you know, to, to make it to that level and, and, and all the things, right? All the things. Um, to not knowing what the hell I was going to do, right? Like I had no idea what, what I was going to do. There, there was no, there was no, there was never, there was never a plan B in my mind um, that, hey, this is, if this doesn't work out, this is, this is what's going to, right? This, this is what we're going to do, right? There, there, there wasn't that plan. Um, and so, and so it took me, I mean, I went, I kind of spiraled for, you know, a good two years. Um, you know, I had never, I had never really drank before. I had never really done drugs before. I started, started drinking, started doing drugs. Um, I think, I think a lot of it was, um, honestly, I was, I was trying to find a way to kill myself. Right. And, and not, not overtly. Right. Cause I didn't have the, I didn't, I didn't really want to die, but I also didn't want to live because I didn't know well, what your, do, dad, right? your dad was saying, but your dad was kind of sending you a message that you weren't worthy anymore on some level. If he wasn't I mean, able yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean there, I'm not there, saying I love you. I'm just saying right, that no. he, couldn't, he yeah. couldn't grasp this is your new identity right. now. Right. Right. I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot that, there was a lot that was going on. And so, um, you know, uh, then, you know, about the same time that I started to, uh, started to figure it out a little bit, um, my parents started going through their divorce and, um, uh, and, uh, I had to run my dad's company. He, he couldn't do it. Right. He couldn't do it. And so, um, I have a younger brother who's five years younger than me. And so, um, I actually moved back in with my dad, um, and I ran his company, um, to make sure that the bills could be paid. Right. I mean, there was, there was mortgages that needed to happen. My brother, little brother went to private school. Um, and so, you know, for, for a couple of years there, I was, I was the only one running the company um, and, you know, helping out my, my family as best as I could. And, and I learned a lot in that, in that, right? I learned how to run a business. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of found my footing. Um, <laughs> my dad came back and, and we were working and, and uh, I was going to business school at the time. And, you know, I was learning about all of these new and innovative ways to do business. And, and I was trying to incorporate them into his business. And my dad was old school, right? I mean, there's a certain way he had, he, he had reached a certain level of success and, and he was comfortable with that. And he really didn't want to move the ball forward anymore, right? He was just happy with the way things were going. And, you know, the second really defining moment in my professional career, he told me one day that I would never have a better job than the one he gave me. Hmm. And, and that was the last day I worked for my dad. And so I walked out and I called, uh, I called at the time we had a, uh, we had a, a Verizon uh, business lines, you know, cell phone lines with our company. And this is, this is 2001, 2002. So this is, 
pretty new in the cell phone game. So I called our business sales wrap up and I told her I needed a job. First, she laughed and she said, you've got a great job. You don't need a job. And I was like, no, I need a job. So I kind of explained the situation and she was like, okay. She was like, the only thing I can do is, is get you a, a retail sales position, you know, working in a retail store. And I was like, I'll take it. Like, that's fine. Like, I, I, just, I just have to make money. Um, and so I started doing that. Um, and this was right when the first uh, camera flip phone came out, right? So that, that kind of tells you, you know, where it was. And uh, selling cell phones was, was an easy thing to do. And so very quickly, I became um, successful at that. I moved up, I moved up, switched to a couple different companies, finally made it to uh, a VP level um, of, of, of a major telecom company. And I did that for the next 10 years of my life, right? I mean, I, I, that, was my, that was my career path. I wanted, I, you know, at that point, I was like, okay, I don't have sports anymore. Business is my new athletics. And so I, I kind of attacked leadership. I attacked learning how to become a better business person, to become a better leader as much as I could. I soaked up as much as I could possibly read. Um, a lot of the organizations I worked for, you know, leadership was key. And so there was a ton of developmental courses. I mean, pretty much half my job was, was learning and the other half was putting that learning into action. Well, let me, um, let me cut in, Travis. I yeah. need to cut in because I don't want uh, the story not to give the nuggets. So I want to, I want to ask you, what are some of the things that you did learn and what are the things that you're learning even in the mastermind or when you're reading that most people don't utilize to make their business successful? I think, well, I, th I think there's, there's, there's so many different areas, right? I think that first of all, if you, you know, leadership is its own, kind of animal, right? And, and I think that a lot of organizations, a lot of people that I talk to like entrepreneurs, a lot of them are solopreneurs, right? Or maybe they have one or two other people that work for them. And so it might not be, it might not be in the leadership world, but it's in the psychology of a sale, right? And, and, and I've learned, right? Like, and, and, I, and I always say this, I, I, don't, I don't mean this in a negative sense, right? But there, there, is a, there, there is a manipulation that happens in sales, right? One way or the other. Either, either, either it's the, the consumer is manipulating the, the, the person who's selling or it's the other way around, right? But there is a psychology that goes into it. And if you learn, right? If you learn how to understand your consumer and you can, you can attack that consumer on an emotional standpoint, right? You will win every single time, right? You will win that sale every single time. And not only will you win that sale every time, but the person who bought from you will feel really, really good about that sale, right? They're not going to feel like they got sold. They're going to feel like this person actually understood me. And I think a lot of sales I want to, I, I want to say, Travis, that you're using the word attack, but you're using it from a standpoint of a win and, uh, and a win for the customer too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, um, because a lot of times consumers don't really know what they want, right? They, 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 they don't, they, they, they think they understand what they need, right? But they don't understand really what they need. And, and so, you know, a salesperson's job is to uncover those needs, right? Is to figure out what those needs are. And, you know, hopefully you've got a solution for them. So let's, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to operate on the, uh, on the assumption that, you know, we're being very ethical about this, right? And that we are doing the right thing for the consumer. Understanding your consumer and understanding, you know, what emotional keys are driving them to make this purchase is the difference between being a good salesperson or being a great salesperson. And if you can figure that out and you know how to, you know how to lead that consumer down a path of enlightenment, of understanding what it is they really need and you fulfill that need on an emotional level, that person will come back to buy from you 
every single time they need, they need your service, right? Because you feel an emotional need, not just a physical need, but an emotional need. And a lot of salespeople don't understand. Are you ready for the ultimate challenge, Travis? The ultimate challenge? Is that we have like a minute left. The show went like that. And thanks to Nate the Great and JR, they stole a half hour for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to you when you write your book. We're going to go into the nugget. And obviously that there's just so much more to say and talk about. So I want to do five quick questions to you and five quick questions back because that'll give the customers an essence of what, how you program yourself. Would you agree that you read and what you, what you like is how you program yourself? Yes. Okay, so these are the five questions. I throw them at you, you throw them back at me, and we go back and forth five times real quick. Okay. What book changed what, what book changed your, what book changed what your book, life? Um, I mean, outside, I'm not trying to remember, outside of the Bible, I would say uh, the first 90 days. Perfect. What, what movie inspires you? Well, you said Rudy, and now that that movie is constantly on my mind. And that, By the way, but you're going to be in the book with Rudy. Rudy is one of the authors in Dose of Hope. So you're going to be in the same book with Rudy. So you can, and by the way, we can do links at the end of the show. And we're going to do links yeah. for the BLN event and all that good stuff. So it'll be plenty of links if you want. Uh, what, uh, who's, who's your hero? Um, as, as crazy as it sounds with everything we talked about, um, my dad. Cool. Who would you want to meet that you haven't met? Um, alive or dead? Either, both both uh dead jesus um alive i would like to meet you um that that's a really tough one there's a lot of people alive i'd like to meet. um i would say probably uh i'm a really big fan of of wayne gretzky um i'd love to meet yeah wayne's cool yeah. Well, if you want to meet Sir Richard Branson, apparently I have an in to go to Necker Island. And I mean, I, I, he's a cool guy, too. It's a bit of a ticket, but I, I, I have you on my short list of people that might want to go. And last awesome. question is, what is the quote you live by? You know, I, when you said this to me earlier, I, I, I honestly, there's, there's, there's not a quote that I live by. Okay. And how do people connect with you or follow you? Um, they can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Travis Ravel. Everything is Travis Ravel. So, um, Travis Ravel at Gmail is the best email address. Um, Facebook, Travis Ravel, Instagram, Travis Ravel, Snapchat, Travis Ravel. Well, all the, all the, all the, all the cool things. It's just your story will be enhanced because you get to say 10 minutes of who you are in the story dose of hope. So you will get that. Plus if I can convince you to be an author like Nate, then you're going to have your, you're going to have you, you and Nate should be on my show when you book your books out. I'm going to put that out as a, I'm manifesting that. So Manifest this is Ken, I love it. I love it. Yeah. This is Ken Rush Honor Voice of America. And I am so elated that I got to have a deeper conversation with Travis. Uh, and this spawns a friendship on another level. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for all that you do to amplify goodness and inspire hope. Travis, you, you are, you're the real deal. So thanks a lot. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.